can teach us pretty powerful spiritual truths. And probably that's why Jesus utilized this tool, the spiritual truth of just being still, something that I believe we need to learn, embrace, grab a hold of, figure out how we can be still at times. And it's forced at the table. You come to the table and you have to be still. You have to have rest. The promise of rest that God has for us, the design of Sabbath for us, it's revealed in the table. And, and last week we looked at the reality that a table in itself brings out intentional community, right? When I come to a table and when I'm sitting with someone, there's community that comes as we're sharing in the meal. We, we went to Dave and Allie's last night and there's community that comes. There's stories that are told. There's ideas that are understood because we're sitting at a table with one another and it's either really awkward or you're going to talk, right? I mean, it's like this opportunity for us to come together and we share life and, and we talk about things. There's intentional community. And the reality that stood out to me last week was Acts chapter 2, when Luke was describing the early church, he basically defined the catalyst of the early church. Yeah, there was the, the teaching of the apostles and there was the signs and wonders, but he emphasized the fellowship of that community. The reality that that community... They, they loved, they genuinely loved one another. They loved God, but they, they genuinely loved one another. So today I want to continue to look at the table and see another lesson that we can learn from the table. We're going to start in the book of Luke, chapter 22. Um, the verses that are up here, we, we read Luke 22 a lot. Probably when it comes to the table, Luke 22 has one of the most renowned, the most famous, the most talked about meals of all time, right? Jesus' Last Supper. We talk about it once a month. We read Paul's account in Corinthians, but he's going back to the gospel accounts when he's quoting it, the, the reality of Jesus with his disciples. He, they come together. We, we, he, the washing of feet happens. We've talked about that. But we never focus on the verses that come before that. We like to talk about the meal. We like to talk about what happens when Jesus comes, the word that he says, the, the promises that he makes. But we don't often spend time in these verses that precede that. We don't often look at what, what comes before the meal. So I'm going to read uh, Luke 22. I'm going to start in verse 7, but I'm going to pray. Um, Father, we thank you this morning that we are here. We thank you for your presence and the promise that you inhabit the praises of your people so we know you're here. We yield ourselves to you this morning, God, that, that you would speak to us. We ask for your anointing upon everything, every word spoken, every word heard. And whatever happens in between, God, your will be accomplished in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 22, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now I'm just going to pause for a minute. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of study together. Um, I took a New Testament class in my master's course this last year, and they said when you have a portion of Scripture, you should look at words that occur a lot or themes that occur a lot. So when we look at these words and when we look at these verses, is there a theme or a word that seems to be repeated? Huh? 
preparations. Passover is, absolutely. But, but the reality is, is I, I see at least four times in this portion of Scripture, there's what, six, seven verses there, that the word or the idea of, of preparations comes before the Passover meal. Right? Isn't Jesus telling Peter and John, go and make preparations? And so they say to him, well, where do you want us to prepare it? And they go to town, and what do they do? What happens if Peter and John don't do their job in this? Can you imagine the Passover meal at KFC? Like, if they didn't obey what Jesus told them to do, if they didn't go and make preparations, what does the Passover feast look like? The reality of the table, what is ingrained in the table, when you invite someone over to your house, my idea, my understanding, at least through the context of our house, is, is you prepare for people to come over, right? You make preparations. You decide what you're going to eat, how you're going to cook it, what you're going to drink, um, what's going to be for dessert. You probably rearrange things or, 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 or clean the table off so there's a place to sit. I mean, all this stuff happens... Because of the table. Because the table, it really does, it requires us to be prepared. In preparation, what I want to look at today is absolutely a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline that, 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 that is the body of Christ. It's something that, that when we look at the Word of God, the concept of being prepared... I looked at the New Living Translation, just went to one of the Bible searches, and I typed in the word prepared. Do you know how many times the word prepare came up, and it probably was prepare or prepared, in the New Living Translation of the Bible? 192 times the word prepared occurs in the New Living Translation of the Bible. Obviously, the discipline of preparation is a discipline that we as a body need to understand. Because my hypothesis is that my preparation, the level of my preparation, reveals the level of my expectation. How I prepare probably shows what I expect. So I've just got some pictures up here, um, and I want to look at these together. So if this is what it looks like at your table, what are you expecting? For me, this says family reunion in Kentucky. There's chicken on the table. Every time we got together for a family function, uh, family time, we had fried chicken, Kentucky fried chicken. That's where I'm from. You'd buy a bucket on the way to the family reunion. You'd sit down. you eat food. you get messy. You'd play a game, right? What about this one? What does it say? It says, old lady alert. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> What's the expectation? We're going to have a spot of tea. See, your preparation often reveals your expectation. What does it reveal? There's music in the background in this one, by the way. I just hear it. I don't ever do that, but I hear that. I mean, your preparation reveals your expectation. What does it say? We're going to watch some football and we're going to eat lots of food. 
I tell you what, if I ever had to have a lesson on the preparation, can you imagine going to a meal with this sitting before you? If you're like me, you're going to say, I only need one fork, one knife, and one spoon. But this says there's a salad knife or fork, a fish fork, a meat course. There's some kind of plates. There's, there's three different knives to use. There's three different spoons. I mean, I would get lost. Can you imagine coming to a table set like this? What's the expectation? It's going to be a pretty formal affair, and I'm going to eat lots of food. Because if you got silverware out for each course, there's at least five courses that are coming for me to consume in this moment, right? Your level of preparation often reveals your expectation. So if you walk into someone's house and you're going to have dinner and this is what you see, what do you expect? We may not eat. <laughs> do you see what I mean? You see, your level of, of expecta- or preparation often reveals your expectation. If I was, as a pastor, going to have this great idea of having a men's tea, and I talked to Rosemarie, because I don't have any tea sets, and I borrowed hers in any china, you know what I mean? I don't think I'm going to put a whole lot of effort in the event. Why? I'm not guessing there's many men coming to my men's tea. I can promise you in my home right now, I am not preparing a nursery. There is no expectation of another child in my home. Luke and Savannah, whole different ballgame there. You see, because where there's expectation, there's preparation, right? When we genuinely expect something, we will do something to prepare for it. If we don't expect it, then we're not going to get ready for it. If I don't think it's coming, then why would I do anything to get ready for it? If Peter and John said Jesus was just a little goofy, he's asking us to do some radical stuff, I'm going to see a dude carrying a bottle of water, I'm going to walk up to him, ask him to take me where he's going, I'm going to talk to the guy that owns that house and say to him, the teacher wants us to have your guest room for a Passover meal. If they didn't believe that was going to happen, do you think they're going to go up to some dude carrying a bottle of water? And then follow him to the house where he's at. Like, they're looking at him like, where are you going? Why are you following me? Like, you know what I mean? Go to the house and, and ask for this room. Do you think they're going to do that if they didn't expect that that was what was coming? Spiritual discipline. Spiritual understanding is, I would say, your, your preparation. Your preparation in life. Your preparation in the day-to-day. And your preparation in your spiritual life, really does reveal what you expect. How you prepare reveals what you think is coming. Not only does your, 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 ex, your preparation reveal your expectation, but your preparation often facilitates conversation. Remember Mary and Martha a few weeks ago? We talked about that story. And, and you're going to say, well, Pastor, you seem to be preaching the opposite of Jesus. I'm not. Believe me, I'm not trying to go against his word right now. But what was the issue with Martha? She was too busy, right? When was she too busy? Well, Jesus was there. 
And I use the example from my home. When we have family meals, a lot of times we're too busy during the meal to have conversation. And many times if we prepare before the meal enough, we get enough stuff on the table and try to recognize that my kid's going to say he's thirsty, he's going to say he's hungry, he's going to want ketchup, he's going to want this one's going to want that, and I put it all on the table, my preparation then facilitates my conversation because I'm not so busy doing when the moment is here. Can you imagine if Noah waited to build the ark until it started raining? Here's a story I want to look at. This one's in Matthew 22. It's a parable about being ready. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, Greg, praise God for the parables, by the way, this morning, that Jesus taught this way, because it makes us think. The kingdom of heaven is like, Sunday school, this should set your ears off because we're talking about a parable of the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner for them. My, fat, my oxen, my fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding bank. But they paid no attention and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants, they went out into the street. They gathered all the people they could find, the, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed there was a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I've got to be honest, when I, read this, when I read this parable, when I read this parable, a lot of times I go to this default, I feel sorry for this dude. I don't know about you. Like, this, this whole idea of this parable, there's a king, and he's done everything to get ready. He's prepared, right, for the meal. It's another meal thing. See that? Jesus teaches with meals. And what happens was he invites some. They choose not to come. He invites others. They kill his servants. And so he gets mad. He kills all them people. And he says, just go out to where? The street corners. And invite who? The good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. Just tell them to come. And we see the situation is... All these people, it's not just this one guy. These people all come in, but one guy chooses to not have wedding clothes. And the king gets upset, and he, and he kicks him out. And I say, I look at that, and I think, man, when it says to me in Scripture that, that they went to the street corners, like this is probably a poor guy. He's probably a homeless guy. Doesn't have anything else. He doesn't even have wedding clothes to wear. Like, why is this fair? That's what I ask when I read this. That's what happens in my brain when I read these words. Obviously, the king has an expectation this man did not meet. But as I was looking at some commentaries and some, some study of this verse, what I read was the tradition of the day when a king threw a feast was he had a royal wardrobe. And do you know what happened in his wardrobe? It wasn't just the clothes he wore. It was the clothes for his guests. And so when he invited people to his wedding banquet or a wedding banquet for his son, he would give them something to wear. 
So instead of this being someone who couldn't afford, someone who didn't have a nice clothes, he couldn't get to JCPenney to buy a suit before the wedding, this was someone who chose not to put on what the king had given them. This was someone who was not ready for the moment in which they were. He chose intentionally to not be prepared. Why? Well, it's either rebellion or he thought he wasn't going to be good enough anyway. He got kicked out. His, his preparation revealed his expectation. He's not going to be there for a wedding because he wouldn't clothe himself with what the king had given him. What do you expect? Like, what are you expecting in this season? What are you expecting in these moments? I mean, we've got all kinds of wardrobes. The scripture tells us about putting on, clothe yourself with righteousness, clothe yourself with peace, clothe yourself with joy, put on the full armor of God. I mean, what are you expecting? Because your expectation, your preparation will reveal what you're truly expecting. I'm going to step on some toes. Just for a second, why? Because I'm pastor and I get to do this. You know, sometimes we mask spirituality with being unprepared. Sometimes as Pentecostals, we say that we are spirit-led and so we don't have to be prepared. Sometimes, and, and I've heard it, I've even had people tell me, and this is not meant... And I understood their heart. Pastor, I'm praying for the Sunday that God moves and you have to preach what's not before you. Like, all of a sudden that quantifies a more spiritual moment. And I want to say there's anointing in the preparation. Do you hear that? I'm not saying that as a pastor I shouldn't be willing to do whatever God says. And if he changes something in a moment, in worship today, there were two moments where I felt like God was speaking to me about something. So I sent a text message to South Africa and I wrote some notes on my sermon to adjust or change what is for this moment. I'm not saying that, 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 that preparation or, or being prepared is a, is, 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 a, is a replacement for being spirit-filled. But what I'm saying is there's absolutely anointing in the preparation. Think of Peter and John. You don't think that was a spiritual lesson for them in their preparation? Can you imagine their conversation when they leave Jesus? Do you really think there's going to be a guy with a water jug? What are we going to do when we can't find that guy? Are we just going to go look for a water jug, put it on the side of the road, and see if someone will pick up that water jug? I mean, can you imagine their conversation as they're going and what God begins to do? Have you ever walked in obedience where the anointing is coming through the preparation, and as you're preparing for something, you didn't know why you were preparing for it, but God told you to get ready for this? You began to see that man carrying a jug, and you're like, oh my... And you talk to that man and he welcomed you to come to his home or, or the home of his master, whatever it was, and you spoke to the master of the house? Do you see what's happening to their faith in the midst of their preparation? Their faith has to be increasing. Can you imagine the oh my moments as what Jesus promised them was coming to fulfillment as they were making preparations for what he told them to do? I believe that's what happens in our preparations. God speaks to me a promise. I want you to do this. Someone teased me about tacos this morning. God, you want me to make tacos for high school kids. 
Doesn't sound very spiritual, right? And all of a sudden, as I'm preparing to do this, uh, there's, there's a freezer. I'm telling you, there's a freezer back there. It's a blessed freezer. And you know what's the miracle about that freezer is it just produces hamburger. I mean, there is, I'm not kidding you. It's a miracle of God. I've shared this before. The only time in the last like seven years I remember that freezer being out of meat was when COVID hit. I was having conversations with Mike right around that season. Hey, you got a bad cow because we're going to need to get some hamburger made. That was the only time. See, because sometimes my expectations, (laughs) I want to be prepared. (laughs) But God knew. And we ran out of meat right before COVID. And you know what happened when we went back to school? That magic freezer was full of hamburger again. You see, and what it does to your faith when you see God working in the preparation, I can't plan for tacos and say, God, just bring tacos about when the kids show up, right? I mean, I've got to be prepared for that. But when I start to see the hand of God moving in the midst of what he's asked me to do and see what he's producing in my obedience, that, that anointing that comes in the preparation, that anointing that comes through the provision and power of God that I see when I listen to him and I obey what he's asked me to do is incredible. God's people are a prepared people. He tells us time and time again to do what? Be ready. God's instruction to his people isn't, hey, don't be ready. He doesn't say time and time again, um, just keep going, don't be ready. Don't be looking, don't be watching. What's he tell us? To be ready as a people. We are called to be, to be prepared, excuse me, in the kingdom of God. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man. And this man, uh, I'm not going to read the first verse I have up here. I just want to read verse 14. Focus on that. He did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. I said this before. Can you imagine if you got one line in Scripture? I've talked about lines in Scripture, and this was your line. The way Rehoboam was described in these verses was he did evil because why? He didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Rehoboam became king. He was David's grandson. He was Solomon's son. He became king. He served for about 17 years as the king of the people. And for the first three years, man, he was in step with God. He was doing what God asked. He was following God's will. In in that season of his life, in those first three years of being king, there was a time in which he wanted to attack an enemy, and a prophet came and said to him, don't do that. And he listened to the prophet, turned away, and God spared his people because of his obedience. But after about three years, something changed in Rehoboam. After about three years, something changed into him. And the writer of Chronicles points back to what? Why did he change? In the NIV it says he didn't set his heart. Why did Rehoboam change? Because he wasn't prepared for what was coming. I remember when I knew I needed to transition out of ministry, in youth ministry, because I figured I could figure it all out. I knew how to do it well enough. I didn't have to prepare much anymore because it's just high school kids. What am I, I didn't say anything. They're going to listen. You know what I mean? Like, just entertain them, whatever. I mean, and I recognized my lack of preparation was leading me to a place that God didn't want me to be. My preparation revealed my expectation. 
Rehoboam didn't set his heart. He didn't intentionally reach out to God to prepare his heart to seek the Lord. I will tell you, in this world, if you don't prepare to seek the Lord, you're not going to seek the Lord. I'm going to say that again because someone needs to hear that. In this world, if you don't make preparations to seek the Lord, you will not seek the Lord because there's always going to be a phone call. There's always going to be a responsibility. There's always going to be something else. There's always going to be a thought. There's always going to be an idea. There's always going to be a something that will distract you from seeking the Lord. If you don't set your heart to seek the Lord, if you don't prepare your heart to seek Him, you will not seek Him. I promise you, you may seek Him for about three years, but after that you're going to fall away. Why do we see that so often in church? Because we're not prepared for the long haul. What does that look like? I've got to make a place. I've got to set a time. You know, it's amazing. These things are the worst things ever and the best things ever. But they have this cool button on the side of them that's a power button that I can turn off because I can promise you when Pastor Steve says I'm going to set myself up for devotion time during the week and I try to do it in my my office hours and I come to church, you know what happens immediately? This thing goes off. I mean, it's like it knows. And for some reason, as a pastor, probably because of the words of people at times, excuse me for a second for saying that, because if I don't answer my phone, I'm a bad person, so I don't want to be a bad person, so I figure I have to answer my phone because this might be a life catastrophe. I go ahead and answer the phone. Well, if I just turn it off in the first place, then I would never have the problem. But I haven't set my heart. I haven't prepared myself to seek his face. What is your expectation because your expectation or your preparation will reveal your expectation one last story I'm talking about this guy you've never heard of anybody here ever heard of John Huss okay one person's heard of him so I hope I get the story right huh (laughs) no just kidding John Huss was a Czechoslovakian priest Obviously, right around the 1400s. And what happened with him, he was, he was reading that these, these teachings of Wycliffe. It caused him to wrestle with what was going on. And this is before, we've all heard of Martin Luther, right? Protestant Reformation, 95 Theses, Wall, you know, all that stuff that he did, nailed him. Um, this guy kind of came before that. He was a precursor to the Protestant Reformation. And what happened was, he was a priest, but he began to wrestle with this idea that people came to priests and popes rather than going straight to God. And he started to teach this heresy that people could pray to God. Now, we say that's weird, but that was the reality of what was happening was the people didn't feel like they could approach God. They had to approach man to approach God for them. Remember the Old Testament priests, that's what the model was coming from. You went to the priest to get forgiveness. And so it, it transpired in the Catholic Church in the beginning. And so this man began to teach this heresy of the Catholic Church that people could pray to God. So what happens? He gets arrested. He gets put on trial. He's hoping at the trial, what I've read, is he's hoping at his trial he gets just the opportunity to present a biblical background or a biblical basis for what he's teaching. He's never provided that opportunity. So you know what his punishment is? He's to be burned at the stake. And I want to read. You talk about preparation. Here's a quote that I read um, this this week. Um, it said, we're told that when John Huss was arrested and informed he'd be burned to death for his faith. He purposely practiced holding his hand over the fire to prepare for his final test. 
He burned himself in preparation because he wanted to be faithful to the end. Can you imagine? What did he expect? He expected to be burned. He said, I know what's coming and I don't want to fail this test. And so, and again, this could be someone made this up. I don't know, uh, but, but this is what I've read about it. And so in order to prepare himself that he wouldn't fail the test that was coming, he said, I, I need to feel what it feels to be burned. And he began to allow himself to be burned because he didn't want to reject Jesus. He didn't want to recant the truth of Jesus Christ when he was at the stake. And so he said, I'm going to do what it takes to be able to endure the moment that is coming. And this is what it says. His words, as he died, his words on the day of his death, in the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors, I am ready to die today. I'm, I'm ready. I'm prepared. Walt, this morning in worship, this is what I was jotting down. What did he end worship with? The words of, of Revelation. What is Revelation's song for us? It's a promise of a song that we're going to sing one day. And so what was Walt encouraging us to do? Now, Walt didn't know what I was preaching on. What was he encouraging us to do? He was encouraging us to sing that song now to be ready when we get to sing it in the future. I love that he kept throwing in there, we don't know what the melody is. We're going to all sing it the same way we always have. What was the concept behind that? The reality is, is that we need to be ready for what is coming. If we believe in the promise that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If we believe in the promise of eternal life that God has given us. If we believe in the book of Revelation, it talks about a banquet table that's going to be the fulfillment of what God has accomplished in this world. We're going to get ready for it. So that we can say, I am ready to die. How do I get ready to prepare for death? It begins with our understanding of sin and the reality of sin in our life, that sin is something that separates me from the will of God. That sin, the punishment of sin, is death. That's an eternal death. That's eternal separation from God. That's the reality of sin in my life. I can prepare for the expectation of death. If I believe in eternal life through Jesus Christ, my preparation is going to be that I want to be set free from the power of sin in my life. How do I prepare to be set free from the power of sin? I receive what God has offered us, the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means when he says to me, go to town and find some dude carrying water, I'm going to go to town and find some dude carrying water. When he says to me, pray for the sick and they will be healed, I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to do what God asks. When he says to me, you know, speak to this person, I'm going to speak to them. When he says to me, there's promises I'm going to fulfill for you, I'm going to start building the boat. When he says people will hate, insult and persecute you because of me. Maybe I'm going to put my hand on the fire. Because if I really believe it's coming, I want to be ready when it shows up.
The table models preparation. You guys can come forward. Good luck. The table models the principle of the gospel. God's people should be defined as being a prepared people. We should be a people, a word that I used last week, that are intentional about what's coming. Intentional about what he said. Intentional about what he's going to do. I believe, this is Pastor Steve, this is why I talk about our tables. This is what I believe happens when we come to the table. I believe that the tables become places of God's presence in our homes. I believe that the table becomes an altar where people experience the goodness of God, the glory of God, the power of Jesus Christ. What if you expected that your table was a place where someone might learn about the love of Jesus Christ? What if you expected that someone might come into your home and experience the power of God and presence of God through people who love and show his love? What if you expected, remember the, the promise, the vision of Luke chapter or Acts chapter 2 was that to the number or to the Lord's, the Lord added daily to the number of those who were being saved, right? What did he expect that God was going to use you? What did he expect that? He had a perfect plan. What did he expect that he was speaking to you today to go and prepare? What if you expected that that thing that he promised was still going to be fulfilled? I'm sure there's moments Noah said it's not raining yet. But it just kept building. I know at times there's things that have been spoken years ago and we just lose sight. It's been three years and I haven't seen that fulfillment. We don't position our heart. We don't set our heart. We don't prepare our heart for the temptation, for the challenges, for the trials that are coming. We don't put ourselves in a position to experience what God has, and we lose sight of His plans. Rehoboam is described as an evil man. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared that when He speaks, I go. I want to expect that God's going to change. God's going to change me. He's going to change those around me. God's not changing. I get it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm talking about me. I want to expect that He can use me. We talked about a mustard seed in Sunday school. Parable of Jesus, the kingdom of God is like something as insignificant as a mustard seed that, that our conclusion really of that parable was something that provides stability and balance, a place of refuge in this world. What if that's what God's saying to you? I expect that your life, the way that you are, who you become in me, is going to be a place of refuge for those that are around you. Oh my. 
There's a lot of change from pinhead mustard seed to 10 to 12 foot plant with branches that birds can live in. I need to get ready. This morning as they lead us in a chorus, I'm just going to ask, are you prepared? Are you ready? It may be life and death. It may be the eternal things of God. It may be promises or plans. It may be that thing that he's been speaking to you about. Are you ready? If you say, no, Pastor, I'm not sure. Rehoboam forgot to set his heart. Be intentional about what do I need to do in order to be ready when that moment comes. What do I have to do so that I'm ready when, when the banquet starts? Is there clothing that the king has offered that you haven't been putting on? Is there something that he's desired that you refuse to put on, whether it's in rebellion, ignorance, or whatever else? The wedding may not happen. I've talked to that girl. She isn't really in love. We come up with excuses to not be prepared. We come up with reasons to not be ready. What if we set our heart, we were intentional in our heart, that I'm going to be ready to do what God needs me to do when he needs me to do it? Maybe to some he's saying, put your hand on the fire. What I'm asking is going to be hard. In your flesh, you're not even sure how you're going to respond. I'm not saying go beat yourself and roll down the the streets of Crawford, Nebraska, but I'm saying do what it takes to be ready. So you can accomplish what he has. Father, this morning in this place, you're speaking to us. It's a message that's consistent with the word of God. It's a message that we see from the beginning to the end. That your people should be a prepared people. God, this morning I pray that we would get ready. That we would set our hearts on what you have. For Peter and John, it started by hearing the voice of Jesus Christ. For some in this room, they need to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that we have ears that hear you. The Word says the God of this age has blinded eyes. He's clogged ears. I pray for open eyes and open ears to hear the voice of Jesus Christ today. If it's an unfamiliar voice, if it's a voice you've never heard, a voice that says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A voice that says, I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die so that you may have life. It's eternal life so you can be ready in life and in death. God, as we hear, help us to obey. Obedience isn't just, yes, I will. Obedience is in what we do. Let our actions reflect the the position of our heart. Let our actions reflect positions that say, God, I will do what you've asked me to do. So that when the test comes, 
when the moment comes, when the opportunity comes, when the meal is served, we're ready. Help us today. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our counselor and advocate, the one who gives us wisdom and understanding. Holy Spirit, speak to us. The how. How do we do this? What we need to do? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, we haven't had an opportunity to pray as a body yet. I want to open the altars up because I recognize sometimes life is the thing that gets in the way of what God wants. Sometimes our circumstances, sometimes our trials, sometimes the tests, sometimes the the loads that we're carrying, they stand in the way of us doing or hearing or responding to God. So this morning, if there's something in your life that you'd like for prayer with, if there's a situation or a circumstance, if you want to respond to God's invitation to be ready for life and death, the reality of sin in your life that, that, that has kept you separated from His will, as a pastor, I want to pray with you this morning for the opportunity for eternal life. You're going to say, I'm ready for that test. If you say, Pastor, I just need someone to stand with me because I feel like my hand's being put in the fire and I'm just not so sure. That's the beauty of what? Intentional fellowship. We're with one another that we can stand with each other and we can say, you know what? My, my wife hates this. And she's taking her master's courses. You know what I tell her when she's getting frustrated? You're going to do great. She just rolls her eyes. I know. But sometimes we just need someone to tell us, do it. I know it hurts, but I'm here with you. I'm not leaving you. I don't doubt you. I see the promise in you. I know that you can endure this test. I know that you can make it. I know that you can do this. I know that God spoke that to you, and I want to stand and support you as you do this. Maybe that's what you need a pastor to do in your life. I don't know what God is speaking, but let's listen, respond, and obey. Amen? What are you expecting? What are you expecting? And get ready. Get, get ready. Right? The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may he turn his face towards you, and grant you his peace. And may you get ready. May you be prepared for everything that God has. Amen? Be blessed.